Good morning, church. Obviously, a lot has, has taken place this morning, and, and um, none of us could have expected what has happened to happen. So we trust God and his providence and his sovereignty, and we turn to his word because the grass withers, or the flower withers and the grass fades, but the word of the Lord stands forever. So no matter what event we face in life, no matter what may come, however much we expect it or don't expect it, God's word never changes, and it is always appropriate to worship. And so we continue in worship this morning, asking God to, to work and to continue to move and to continue to provide and care for us as we need, but also to turn our hearts and our minds to him. And in this moment, that's what I would ask, is I, I would ask as we continue to pray for our sisters that we do so in respect and awe of the majesty and glory and providence and grace of our Father, who, even in this moment, sustains us where we stand or where we sit, and His grace never runs out. So this morning, as we open up our, our Bibles, you can open up, open up to Hebrews chapter 12. Hebrews 12, our, our main text will be verses 28 and 29. We'll take a look all the way back from verse 18 and on, but we'll focus there at just the end of Hebrews chapter 12. I hope, um, I hope that for most of you that this has been a, a good weekend. Tomorrow is the 4th of July, as many of you have already begun celebrating. You know, this is, typically this is one of the best times of year, right? We, we get to be outside and we get to grill, we get to be with family and friends and swim and, and watch fireworks. When I was a kid, I, I used to love watching fireworks. Most kids do. Some might be a little bit frightened, you know, with good reason in some cases, depending on who's setting them off. But as an adult, I still think fireworks are great, but they just aren't as exciting as they used to be when I was a kid. To get that same sense of amazement that I had when I was a child, they need to be bigger and louder and brighter. When I was five, I just needed a, a Roman candle and some bottle rockets. I have some great fireworks stories, by the way, if any of you ever want to know. I wish I had time to share, but... We used to have so much fun, but over time, the effect diminished, and I began to care more about things as an adult, like, you know, staying up after the sun goes down means a later bedtime for my kids, and they're just going to act crazy for the next two hours, or, I guess more relative to today, wondering if it would be cheaper to use the gunpowder to fuel my car than the gas. Might be worth a shot. Still, when you're at a fireworks show, whether you're a kid or an adult, there's a moment when none of that matters. The moment everyone has been waiting for, the, the finale. And that final crescendo begins as rockets blast off simultaneously and color fill the night sky and you just hear 
blasts and booms ring out across the countryside. And no one is moving. No one is saying anything. Everyone is just silently staring. Even kids, unless they're too afraid to watch, are looking up at the night sky in complete awe of the wonders and the colors and the sounds. And you know it's a good fireworks show when it's all over. The last blast rings and everyone sits there in silence for just a second. All you hear is a little ringing in your ear, your body still trembling from the ground shaking beneath you. And then everyone starts applauding all at once. There's a sense of awe and wonder and amazement that we collectively feel in that moment. And I wonder this morning if you've ever felt that way when worshiping God. Have you felt that same sense of awe and amazement and wonder about the God of your salvation? Have you felt it before but lost it? Does it matter if we feel that way in worship, if we come before God and feel reverence and awe towards his grace and majesty? Let's look at our text in Hebrews 12. Again, we're going to focus on verses 28 through 29, but verses 18 through 27 set the stage and give necessary context. So we're going to begin there, if you will. In chapter 12, verse 18, for you have not come to what may be touched, a blazing fire and a darkness and gloom and a tempest and the sound of a trumpet and a voice whose words made the hearers beg that no further messages be spoken to them. For they could not endure the order that was given. If even a beast touches the mountain, it shall be stoned. Indeed, so terrifying was the sight that Moses said, I tremble with fear. Our author is describing the the Sinai experience, what Pastor Henry read from Exodus 19 just a minute ago. When the Lord descended to speak to Moses and Israel on Mount Sinai, and the entire mountain was set ablaze. Imagine that. This entire mountain is set on fire. And there's darkness and gloom and a storm and smoke billows up to the sky. And the mountain begins to shake as in an earthquake. And anyone, they're told, if anyone, man or beast, touches that mountain, they will be slain. And the sound that the people hears is like a blasting trumpet over them. And the commands that they heard from the Lord were so terrifying that the people began to beg Moses not to, not to, to ask God not to speak anymore. Even Moses, as their leader and their deliverer from Israel, was filled with dread and fear. And the main point that the author of Hebrews is trying to get across here was that God is an awesome and consuming fire. And no one can simply draw near to God through Mount Sinai. But it keeps going in verse 22. But you have come to Mount Zion and to the city of the living God and the heavenly Jerusalem 
and to innumerable angels in festal gathering, and to the assembly of the firstborn who are enrolled in heaven, and to God, the judge of all, and to the spirits of the righteous made perfect, and to Jesus, the mediator of a new covenant, and to, and, and to the sprinkled blood that speaks a better word than the blood of Abel. So instead of coming to Mount Sinai where there is fear, we have come to Mount Zion, to the city of the living God. And here we are surrounded by angels, innumerable angels celebrating, and we come before the assembly of the saints who have gone before us, and we stand before God, the judge of all. But, can, but how can we stand before God, this consuming fire? Especially after the author just reminds us that he is the judge of all. How can we stand before God? Because we have a mediator, a great high priest, Jesus Christ, who brings us before the throne of grace so that we can have access to the presence of God, into the, the new Jerusalem, into, the, into Zion, the heavenly Jerusalem. We can come into God's presence because of the blood of Christ. And then he goes on in verses 25 through 27. He says, see that you do not refuse him who is speaking. For if they did not escape when they refused him who warned them on earth, much less will we escape if we reject him who warns from heaven. At that time, his voice shook the earth, but now he has promised, yet once more, I will shake not only the earth, but also the heavens. This phrase, yet once more, indicates the removal of things that are shaken, that is, things that have been made in order that the things that cannot be shaken may remain. And this is the author's argument up to this point. It's very simple. He says, the Israelites were warned in the terrifying presence of Yahweh on the mountain that if they were to fall away from the commands of the Lord, that they could not escape his judgment. And the Old Testament is proof of God's judgment as we see his people commit sin and turn to idols and entertain foreign nations. And God's judgment is always swift and sure. Because of the people's sin, they face famine and plagues and captivity. And this is the author's point. If they could not escape God's wrath when he spoke to them from the mountain, how can we hope to escape God's wrath when he speaks to us from heaven? Then the ground shook. But now the whole heavens and earth will shake. And so this is the author's main point. What is coming is a shaking unlike the last. The Lord will appear again. And on that day, all that will remain is what cannot be shaken. And so he gets to verse 28. And he says, therefore, let us be grateful for receiving a kingdom 
that cannot be shaken. And thus let us offer to God acceptable worship with reverence and awe, for our God is a consuming fire. In our text, I, I see three exhortations in these last two verses. Three exhortations in verses 28 and 29, and it starts in verse 28. He says, therefore, let us be grateful for receiving a kingdom that cannot be shaken. So our first exhortation is simple. Be grateful. Be grateful. What is it that we have to be grateful for? That we have received a kingdom that cannot be shaken. Remember, everything that can be shaken in that moment is going to be taken away. It will be removed. It will be destroyed or washed away so that all that remains is what cannot be shaken. So I think it's important that we take a moment to recognize what things can be shaken. What things will God be coming for when Christ returns and this shaking removes everything that is not nailed down by his own name. This cosmic tremor is a, a fulfillment of biblical prophecy. Haggai 2, 6 through 7, which is uh, part of what our author in Hebrews is actually quoting, says, For thus says the Lord of hosts, yet once more in a little while I will shake the heavens and the earth and the sea and the dry land, and I will shake all nations. All nations will be shaken. Every nation on the earth is going to be shaken. I don't care if it's Russia, Ukraine, North Korea, or even our own. Every nation stands to face the judgment of God in this day. And I think this is a pertinent reminder, especially in a day like today. Because it's good to be patriotic and to be grateful for those who sacrificed all so that we could live in this land. But what we must not do is trade patriotism for idolatry. When Christ returns, we will see an even greater kingdom. Our own friend Scott Shepherd said it well in an article that he wrote for the Baptist Press last year. He said, the United States pales in comparison to the country for which we were created. As we grieve the sin and the hurt that is so prevalent in our nation, we should find hope in God's promise of a forever kingdom, where there will be no more sickness, nor pain, nor dying. As we memorialize the soldiers who fought on our nation's behalf, we delight in the day that swords will be turned in for plowshares as the Prince of Peace reigns supreme. So even as we acknowledge our current homeland, our prayer should always be, thy kingdom come, as we long expectantly for Christ's return. No nation will withstand this shaking. Not only nations, but Revelation 6, 12 through 17 says, when he opened the sixth seal, I looked and behold, there was a great earthquake and the sun became black as sackcloth. The full moon became like blood, and the stars of the sky fell to the earth as the fig tree sheds its winter fruit when shaken by a gale. The sky vanished 
like a scroll that is being rolled up. And every mountain and island was removed from its place. And then kings of the earth and the great ones and the generals and the rich and the powerful and everyone, slave and free, hid themselves in the caves and among the rocks of the mountains, calling on the mountains and the rocks to fall on them. Fall on us and hide our face from him who is seated on the throne and from the wrath of the Lamb, for the great day of their wrath has come. And who can stand? Who can stand? Kings, great ones, generals, the rich, the powerful, everyone, slave and free, hid themselves, begging mountains and rocks to fall on them, to hide them from the wrath of God. All the wicked will be removed. Those who have built their life on the backs of injustice, those who have sought only wealth or fame or influence or pleasure in this life, those who deny the gospel of Jesus Christ and seek a salvation for themselves, whether through works or through false gods, None shall stand. Not just nations and the wicked, but praise God, even in this moment, sickness and heartache and betrayal and pain. There will be no more cancer screenings. Cancer will not withstand this shaking. There will be no more therapy sessions. Trauma will not withstand this shaking. There will be no more orphanages or foster homes or, praise God, abortion centers because abandonment will not withstand this shaking. There will not even be any more funerals because death itself will not be able to withstand this shaking. What cannot be for eternity will no longer be ever again. If it cannot be, Live for eternity, it will not be ever again in this day. But understand this. This shaking will take place in order that all that will remain is what can be shaken. That means that even beyond the scope of the world and the wicked and sickness and death, we ourselves will be shaken in that day, so that what in us that cannot stand for eternity will be removed. So get that. The more I grow in this faith, the more that I realize I am a great sinner, and I am so tired of sinning. Aren't you? I'm fed up with it. I'm tired of realizing that I have sinned again and again and again. And when Christ comes, all jealousy and strife and pride and anger and lust and all of that wickedness that still resides in us is going to be removed. All of it will be taken away. So what will withstand that day? What we have received, which is the kingdom of God. 
Only the kingdom of God will remain standing when Christ returns. Therefore, let us be grateful for receiving a kingdom that cannot be shaken. That word receiving for our English teachers in the room, it is a, it is a uh, present active participle, meaning simply that we are currently receiving it. We have already begun to receive this kingdom that cannot be shaken, which means that we have reason to be grateful today. We don't just wait around for Christ to return for life to improve and everything to be better. We have received this life today. There's an already not yet aspect to this command, meaning that you have already received this gift in part. The kingdom of God is there. It is yours to take. You've already received life. You've Uh, You were dead in your trespasses and sins, but now you are alive in Christ Jesus. You've received the Spirit of God who is now at work in you, preparing and preserving you for the day that Christ returns. You have access to the Father through the mediation of the Son. You're a part of the body of Christ, the church, which will one day populate the new heavens and new earth. You've been given victory over sin and a conscience to resist sin and to flee immorality. You've received all of this today, and yet we've received this gift, but we still exist in a world that is fallen and in bodies that are broken and with hearts that are still corrupted by sin. There's a temporary mingling in our lives within and around us today of the things that will be shaken away and the things that will be left standing. And ultimately, the only things even within us that will be left standing in that day are the things that belong to the kingdom of God. This is the great joy of the Christian life then. It doesn't matter if you're an American or a migrant. It doesn't matter if you are rich or you are poor. It doesn't matter if you grew up in church or you spent the better half of your life running from God. You have been given a kingdom today. And it is this life that you have in Jesus Christ. And it is unshakable. It cannot be removed. So whether we face tragedy or heartache or disaster or sickness, we do not cease to be grateful because we know that neither death nor life nor angels nor rulers nor things present nor things to come nor powers nor heights nor depth nor anything else in all of creation will be able to separate us from the love of God in Christ Jesus our Lord. Nothing can take this kingdom away from you. So be grateful. Therefore, let us be grateful for receiving a kingdom that cannot be shaken, and thus let us offer to God acceptable worship with reverence and awe, for our God is a consuming fire. The appropriate response of gratitude is worship. So that's our second exhortation this morning is simply worship. 
Gratitude is at the heart of worship. Worship that stems from a grateful heart will seek to be, as the Hebrews author says, acceptable. And thus let us offer worship that is acceptable to God. So the question is, are we free to decide for ourselves what type of worship is acceptable to God? And I would respond, we are no more free to worship however we'd like than we are free to come into the presence of God however we like. What would happen if an Israelite, if that moment at Sinai reached out with his hand and touched the mountain when God's presence was there? What would happen to a sinner if he were to step into the presence of a holy God without Christ, his mediator, there? They would be consumed by the all-consuming fire of God. Consider this Old Testament example of Nadab and Abihu. If you don't know who that is, those are the eldest sons of Aaron. One morning they are publicly ordained along with Aaron and their brothers Eleazar and Ithamar to serve as high priests of God. And then in Leviticus 10, verses 1 and 2, we see, Now Nadab and Abihu, the sons of Aaron, each took his censer and put fire in it and laid incense on it and offered unauthorized fire before the Lord, which he had not commanded them. And fire came out from before the Lord and consumed them, and they died before the Lord. They had been given clear instructions of the way that they were meant to worship Yahweh. They had already even held the first worship service. Earlier that day, blood was spilled. Animals fell slain. Anointing oil was poured. Special garments were bestowed on the priests. A covenantal meal was consumed. And all of this took place in perfect step step with the instructions of the Lord. And that worship was acceptable. But then these two brothers thought that they could light a fire for themselves and enter into Yahweh's presence their way. After all, it was far more convenient and easier than the whole process that they had to go through earlier. And no sooner had they lit their fire than the consuming fire of the Lord came forth and annihilated them both. Their worship was not acceptable to the Lord. Now fortunately, we don't need to fear being consumed in fire today if we do not worship properly in this room. We have a high priest who intercedes on our behalf, who is a mediator for us so that we can enter into the presence of God freely and without fear of being consumed. However, that does not mean that the way we worship does not matter. Our author instructs us here, worship that is acceptable to God is filled with reverence and awe. Reverence and awe. It is a humble gratefulness. A gratefulness 
mixed with a holy fear, with the realization that the kingdom is an undeserved and precious gift. And we look at this gospel that we have received in Jesus Christ as unworthy unworthy sinners with the same amazement that we look at fireworks as they fill the night sky. How awesome is this? There is no arrogance or overconfidence in such thankfulness, but a joy that is sweetened in reverence and awe. And thus we come to our final command. So first, we're we're grateful for having received a kingdom that cannot be shaken. So therefore, we worship God in reverence and awe because he is a consuming fire. And then our final command, I believe, is implied here is simply be ready. Be ready. Ultimately, this passage from 18 to 29 serves to us as a warning. One day Christ will return and all will be judged. The question for every believer and unbeliever alike is, are you ready? Are you ready? Have you received the kingdom that cannot be shaken? Do you worship God in reverence and awe? Are you amazed at the glory and the grace of this gospel? Are you able to step into the presence of God who is a consuming fire through the mediation of his son whose blood has washed away every sin? Have you built your life on the stone that cannot be shaken or on the sand that will be washed away when the day of storm comes. John Chrysostom, the early church father, said this about this passage. He said, tell me, I pray you, if anyone said that after a year this city would fall and be such a city not at all, wouldest thou have built in that which was about to fall. So I also say this, let us not build in this world. It will fall after a little while and all will be destroyed. In the end, those who heed this heavenly warning will enjoy the kingdom forever. But those who forsake it will face the all-consuming fire of God. Not one sliver of unrighteousness will be able to withstand or hide from his justice. For those who refuse to worship the one true God, whose kingdom cannot be shaken, they stand to fall with the rest of the world. And now as I, I close, my hope is simply this that you who are in Christ might grow in gratitude for what you have received and that this gratitude would form itself in you a desire to worship God in reverence and awe as he deserves in a way that is acceptable and pleasing to him. I also hope that as we consider this text, it reminds us of the grace of God. 
it's fitting that when we consider God's grace that we consider our own sin, right? How good is God's grace when I consider how great of a sinner I am? But even more still, how great is God's grace when we consider how holy and righteous He is? When we consider our, our sin alone, His grace is good. When we consider our sin next to this consuming fire, which will not let one sliver of unrighteousness go free, how much greater does the grace of God appear? May we never cease being amazed at this grace. May we worship in a way that is worthy and pleasing to Him. Let us pray. Father, we ask this morning, as we come into your presence, may we see this consuming fire. God, may we see your holiness and your righteousness and hear your words spoken and see, God, how great you are. May we not forget our sin and forget how we were once dead in our sins and trespasses, and God, you made us alive in Christ. May we not forget or lose sight of your grace. May it astonish us every day so that when we worship, whether corporately or daily in every moment of life, we glorify you, we honor you, we worship you, we praise you in awe and wonder and amazement in exactly the way that you deserve. We ask this humbly in your son's name. Amen.